This podcast has been made possible by Planful and U.S. Bank. Hello, this is Paul Oldham, CFO of Advanced Energy, and you are listening to the CFO Thought Leader Podcast. This is episode 617. As I reflect back on my career, having that kind of CPA path, it really has allowed me to migrate from one industry to the next. The, the compliance reporting has some distinctives. The deal-making in business, the very common traits, the ability to finance based upon a, a great story and business plan have common traits. The life sciences space is wonderful. It was a, you know an opportunity that got presented to me somewhat accidentally. I was in transition. I had just sold the company and the opportunity presented itself. Hi, it's Jack Sweeney. On today's show, we speak to CFO Dennis McGrath of PathMed. As the story goes, two cardiothoracic surgeons and a third seasoned health tech veteran came together after achieving success individually with private single product companies, came together and put their patents and products in a single company, PathMed. Dennis McGrath's finance career is one punctuated with C-suite tenures and M&A transactions. He was more than impressed by the three founders and their vision for a company with multiple products and offerings. What's more, he knew he could help them realize their future vision. We speak to Dennis after this. In an ever-changing world, it can be tough to keep up with the latest FP&A trends and innovations that keep you ahead of the game. Luckily, there's a podcast for that. Tune in to Being Planful, the podcast for finance leaders and planning experts, and stay in the know about what's happening in planning and forecasting. Guests like influencer Chris Ortega, Boston Red Sox CFO Tim Zhu and Brian Lapidus of AFP will keep you up to speed on how you can put finance in the driver's seat this year. Find the full episodes at beingplanful.com or wherever you get your podcasts. P.S. Think you might make a great guest on the show? Shoot host Rowan Tonkin an email at beingplanful.com at planful.com. Hello, we're speaking with Dennis McGrath, CFO of PavMed Incorporated. Dennis, welcome. Thanks, Jack. Thanks for having me. Dennis, uh, we begin by always asking our guests to look back for us and share with us some of those experiences they feel prepared them for a finance leadership role. And now you've had the, uh, you filled those roles, quite a few of them over time. But if you wouldn't mind, go way back for us and tell us how you got your start uh, on the path to becoming a finance leader. Look, you never know where any of these things lead to. My early training was with a global CPA firm, Arthur Anderson. 
spent some time there and the training was immeasurably great. Um, I took a job as a controller. One of my clients made me an offer I couldn't refuse. And before too long, that company uh, was going through an acquisition and a good portion of the ownership was held by employees. <clears throat> and many of them came to me and asked uh, for advice, which was the beginning of uh, starting my entrepreneurial days and formed a company in the financial services business, had a few partners, grew it to a couple hundred employees, was a diversified financial services business with real estate investments, a mortgage company, a CPA firm, but mostly doing financial planning services for companies and high net worth individuals. Uh, sold off those businesses over time. One of my clients was in the food service business and I acquired that business and sold that business and then spent the next 15 years of my career uh, working for somebody else, a technology business to begin with, and, and then a thread of M&A activity. We sold that business and um, then um, uh, I, I joined a company called Photomatics. It was a business plan. A friend of mine um, was invited to look at this technology and showed me the business plan and him and I started the business and that grew over the next 18 years with um, a bunch of, of acquisitions. And in um, midway through, the company was struggling a bit. I was the CFO. I was asked to um, turn around the company and take over the reins of CEO. And um, that was probably a real inflection point on my career. I was able to rely upon the entrepreneurial days when you're responsible for every aspect of the business, just not the reporting compliance. And um, in trying to turn around that business, we recognized we had a bunch of unprofitable product lines. We shed them. We made the company profitable, had to raise money through some unusual means. And one of the recognition uh, points that, um, that I understood was to put our sales into hyperdrive, I needed a new marketing platform. And I was able to accomplish that through an acquisition. And um, it was really a reverse merger. I gave up 80% of our company. And that was a major inflection point for our shareholders. The stock went from a dollar a share to $19 a share, and our shareholders were able to exit extremely well. So that critical decision point of looking outside the company for the right marketing platform changed the nature of our business. And um, a lot of that insight came from the early training, whether it was the technical training I got at Arthur Anderson were the entrepreneurial skills that you're trying to make payroll week to week and you're trying to build a business and had um, you know training in sales and marketing as well as operations, all relying upon my financial background, um, which has been the steady point throughout my career. So, you know, I'm going to make an observation here, and you can you can set me straight and tell me um, I'm wrong. It's funny when I was looking at your your career history, and as you outlined for us, there was a lot of deal making along the way. Um, and I was like, well, maybe he had, maybe he originated in investment banking. Maybe there's a, a deal making career. And then when I got to the end of your bio and I saw Arthur Anderson, I was a little surprised. I was like, wow, he, he was an auditor. And not to say that isn't a wonderful way to learn about business. It's just not where we always uh, find business development careers like yours and finance careers like yours rooted. 
Uh, how am I doing? What do you think of that observation? You're on the money. I have quite a bit of experience in M&A transactions. And it goes back to a decision, I guess it was a senior in college, trying to decide which CPA firm to go to. And I decided Arthur Anderson for largely related to, I knew a lot of people there from previous graduates. But they had a program that was called the small business program, which was a misnomer because they really weren't small businesses. They were pretty much pre-IPO companies. So deal structuring for privately held companies that are looking to access public markets or to sell their business. Deal structuring was all part of that early day. And I just happened to be a observant of not only the structures, but the um, the personalities and philosophies that went into the whys of, of doing it. And that just translated throughout my career. And, and, and if you wouldn't mind, I, I, I want to um, mention, you, you shared with us how you got that first corporate job, which is uh, that first step that so many finance leaders take, they move into a corporate environment. And I, I find it interesting. You went into, was it an industrial air conditioning company? I just want to point out, not the most glamorous business. It's, you know, they supplied air conditioning systems to schools. Am I right about this? That is I... absolutely correct. The AC manufacturing. Uh, it was a, uh, I went to a Phillies game with a CFO who at the end of the night uh, said, I want to hire you. I'm going to pay you more money than than um, you're making right now by a lot. I just got married, just took on a mortgage, and I went for the money. Um, it was um, you know, a, a, um, an opportunity to learn the other side of, of finance, the uh, industrial side. But before too long, um, the owner um, decided he was gonna sell the company and had a private equity group come in and asked me to be involved in those negotiations and structuring. And, you know, it just kind of perpetuated from there in terms of the deal making. Well, let me ask you about that first impression of the private equity folks who come in. That's your world. I, I mean, I get a sense that, yeah, you were like, I'm in the right place right here. Is that true? Or It is. And it is. It's very true. In fact, you asked about investment banking. I'm not sure that I even understood what investment banking was at that point in time. Uh, and, and in hindsight, they offer a very valuable service. And I've used lots of bankers over my career, having an understanding of how deals get structured, how they get financed, um, and really learning and observing from the, the really smart bankers I've had the occasion to interact with have just honed my own skills in, in being able to negotiate a deal and finance it and uh, put the right structures in place for all the aspects that you need to think about. Primarily, what are the business benefits? And then once you determine that, then how to take advantage of all the other components that just enhance the opportunity. You mentioned uh, the food industry. Uh, and I just mentioned uh, you were in the manufacturing of, of these air conditioners. You move on. And of course, you're in life sciences today. Uh, and I just have a sort of a general question. In, industry was never where you did you ever become focused on a particular industry or that's not really uh, relevant? I, I did it. All those dots get connected in a very interesting way. But as I reflect back on my career, uh, having that kind of CPA path, it really has allowed me to migrate from one industry to the next. The, the compliance reporting has some distinctives. The deal making in business, very common traits, the ability to 
finance based upon a, a great story and business plan, have common traits. The life sciences space is wonderful. It was a uh, you know an opportunity that got presented to me somewhat accidentally. Uh, relationship that I had actually was somebody I mentored in in college who was a freshman. I was a senior, and we did full circle many years later. He was moving back from California. I was in transition. I had just sold the company, and the opportunity presented itself. So I, as a finance person, you get to learn the inside of that business while the CEO has a domain expertise, is conducting those other aspects. And if you're a student of people and a student of business, you'll learn those things. And frequently I laugh and say I'm a talking head when I'm presenting the company. But you really need to understand some of the significant details to be able to credibly deliver you know, the storyline of that. And um, all of those piece parts have really led me to where I'm at at PavMed and all of the things that I treasure in business partners and technology and and the, the, the reasons you want to be associated with a quality company were found here in PavMed. Well, I want to ask you about PavMed and uh, but what, one other. So of the life sciences companies you have now been or joined uh, been part of the C-suite with in the past. There's, there are there are several companies. Is that right? Is PavMed like the maybe the third or the? Yes. So Photomedics was the first, and throughout that tenure, we acquired a number of public company life science companies uh, in the surgical space, in the skincare business, in the light therapy business, uh, direct response at some point in time. So we were primarily in the dermatology space for physician therapeutics as well as at home technologies in the uh, in, in that space so um so yeah lots of lots of uh, public company acquisition in different areas that um you know forces you to learn a, a, a lot of new technologies so let's let's find out about pavmed incorporated then uh, this is of course your president and cfo today i should emphasize that at pavmed uh, tell us about this company. What is the opportunity? What are its offerings today? So two brilliant cardiothoracic surgeons as founders in one season that came together after successful private single product companies and put their future inventions in PadMed. And the, the company went public, uh, you know, front door NASDAQ offering, you know, 500 some investors, many of them physicians through the network that the two founders, two of the three founders had. And when I look at the business, now I'm seasoned in my career, I just sold off a whole bunch of businesses in my previous one. I was really looking for the next challenge. <clears throat> and at that phase of my career, I was more interested in being part of a group to mentor where needed or add that element of experience that wasn't in the group. And look, I found people that were quality individuals. I, I call them the three eyes, right? They're extremely smart, intellect, uh, the integrity really high, and hard workers. And they had products that were capable of defining market leadership. And those ingredients I've trusted throughout my career and who I affiliated with, what products I associated with. And it's proven to be a winning formula. <clears throat> and all of those elements were here. So um, many products they had. One that I was particularly enthusiastic about was a product called Carpex. And that is a product that will change how 
carpal tunnel surgery is done in the future to where patients who shy away from it and suffer in silence with this pain because of the recovery time being so significant, the founders have figured out a way to do a minimally invasive approach, very small keyhole incision, not that open procedure that takes lots of time, months, sometimes years to, to heal and allow people to get back to work you know, extremely quickly. And because they're familiar with catheters and balloons and uh, have figured out a way to uh, insert that in a minimally invasive uh, way to protect the nerve yet releasing the, the ligament that's causing the problem, uh, it was a major advance. Um, and it was most recently cleared by the FDA to go to market. And as you know, hardworking, smart people who are opportunistic um, continue to build their network, same was true at PadMed, and we came across a group out of Case Western that enabled us to license their diagnostic assay and their device. And that's a real game changer in the ability to uh, diagnose the precursor to esophageal cancer. And this will save lives because esophageal cancer is, uh, has, has a, um, a lethal component to it. If you're diagnosed with esophageal cancer, the survival rate is 15 to 20% in a, in a five-year period of time. Yet these three physician founders at Case Western purpose to figure out a way to detect the precursor, which can be intervened and prevent it from migrating to this lethal disease. And so we were able to license that, um, again, putting together a, a group of really smart, hardworking people, migrated through the regulatory path, clearance on the device, certification on the, the, the assay to be able to take it to market. And most recently, the FDA gave us a breakthrough designation for that, which is an indication that it will save lives and it helps us on the regulatory pathway as well as the reimbursement. Both of these products are now in the market. Um, the clinics are pretty well shut down. They're starting to come back online. And so we're enthusiastic about the second half of this year, getting both of these products in the market. Um, there's great demand and there's a significant need. There's an un unmet need here that um, both of these are game changers for us. Now, can you give us a sense of how large an organization is this today? I know you've got, uh, it looks like you have six different products and uh, I don't know what stage of uh, uh, maturity they're, they're at, but can you give us a, a, a sense of the organization? And then I want to, I'm, I'm curious about your finance team and how, how you're, you know, the types of team you wanted to create to help you uh, execute here. Well, the, PathMed started being somewhat agnostic in terms of medical discipline to pursue and really with um, the internal innovations, Carpex was one of them. There's a product in the interosseous vascular access device area. There's an intravenous set and we talked about the diagnostic. And as the business has grown, it's coalesced around really four divisions and there's multiple products many more than six is probably around a dozen at this point but we think of these as divisions the gi health space is the one on the diagnostic for the precursor to esophageal cancer we've now added a product that not only can detect but can treat those conditions that we uh we we find and there's a big targeted audience there's 50 million people in the united states alone that suffer from chronic acid reflux that 
could be served extremely well by this technology. There is a, a division we call minimally invasive uh, interventions. That's where our Carfax orthopedic products fit in. We have infusion therapy, two of the products I mentioned, Port.io and Nextflow fit into that. And then lastly, and, and we don't speak a whole lot about this group, but we call it emerging innovations. And we've got things like non-invasive uh, glucose monitoring happening in there, pediatric ear tubes that have special characteristics that are in that group that we'll ultimately bring to market. So the staff um, goes back to the business model. We believe in bringing on board mission critical folks who are you know domain experts in that area and then outsource where we can so we've outsourced uh, our manufacturing contract manufacturing for the various devices we even look at a go-to-market strategy with somewhat of an outsourced approach we've hired in-house management sales management and we have used an ecosystem of independent reps to be able to bring our products to market and and this lends itself to financing the business in a very, very efficient way. Um, we are uh, lean as lean can be. Our finance organization history demonstrates that. You know, when I joined the team, I think I was the fourth or fifth employee. We now have 16 and it changes by the hour at this point as we're in, in the commercial phase of this. Um, I have the, had the pleasure of inheriting a very talented individual in the space that has helped me deal with some very complex financing transactions and how they get reported to the SEC. Um, and that's grown by double. So we now have four people in the finance organization, uh, 16 total people in the company, and we'll be adding uh, more. Now, on any given day, we probably have 40 or 50 full-time equivalents with our outsource group uh, that are contributing to the success of the company. I'm wondering what those people would tell us, those four would tell us that, you know, what are what's top of mind for Dennis? What are the numbers he's going to walk by and ask us about today? Uh, what, what What is it that you're always looking at to measure the performance that you want to you need to achieve? Well, that changes by the phase of the company you're in. Right. Um, so if you're in full scale sales, you're probably waking up looking at yesterday's advertisement success and. If you've got direct response, you know, what are your revenues and profits were generated by the expense of marketing yesterday? We uh, are essentially pre-revenue at this point with just launching these products. So all of those time frames are measured by cash flow. It's what has my past been, where I stand today, what are my needs going forward, and do I have the tools to make sure the cash on hand meets those demands? And we have had, you know, an evolving sophistication of our financing activities from the early days of just the IPO and some preferred offerings with some unique warrants. Um, and we've had a rights offering. We've uh, resorted recently to using convertible debt financing. And that has been extremely uh, good for us and extremely good for the investor, which is what you're always aiming to try and achieve in a balance. Uh, Nominal discount to us, significant profit to the investor, having the money when needed to uh, continue to finance finance our business. Was there a hesitation on your part to move in that direction? Look, you you always carefully tread in areas that are either new to you or new to the business. And um, we closed that first tranche in December 2018. We probably started those negotiations in that summertime. So. Um, 
everybody thinks deals can get done overnight and that, that possibility exists. But I like to say most of them take anywhere from four to six months. I've got enough experience that generally they fall in there because at some point in the negotiation, you're, as you're still trying to figure out each side's motivation and make sure they're pure, um, you're, um, you're, you're dealing with some uncertainties. And that just takes time to get comfortable. You know, after we did that first transaction, the next transaction was pretty easy because both parties trusted each side. Both people, parties understood the components that would make it align for success for all the constituents. And so all of that turf didn't have to be retread in terms of those givens. And um, we found a real, real strong investment partner that helped finance us through these early phases of the business over the last um, 18 months. Want to understand uh, what the, uh, and you, you touched on the current environment and certainly it, it threw a, a wrench in many business plans, but uh, can you tell us the impact it's had uh, on um, PavMed and, and what you've done to, to manage the business through the, through the environment? You know, it's, it, it's been traumatic, uh, the impact on many businesses and not only am I involved in PavMed, I'm on the board of other companies where it's had much more of a significant impact than it has on PavMed, um, where other companies have had across the board cuts in salary and headcount uh, in stalling tech, you know, technology development. For us, it, it, it's had little impact on our uh, ability to continue to innovate and push our products forward. Where it's challenged us is we had assembled a sales force to take our diagnostic to market. We had trained that group. Uh, fortunately, it was all variable cost, 1099s, if you will, these independent reps, which are people who have great relationships that can move things quickly. Got them trained, and the clinics start to shut down. Um, so although they were all sitting on the bench, um, it wasn't costing us anything, but as we continued to work and work from home, and they all did, uh, we found out that many of the physicians that are the cold points, the GI folks, were also not on the front lines, somewhat bored and, and open to accepting a virtual sales call, and found in the process that when they come back online, they're going to have a bolus of patients that want attention. And... The ability to use this technology helps build their business and, as they expressed it, triages the less critical patients for the more uh, significant critical patients that need to be in surveillance on a regular basis, those that have a higher risk of cancer. It allows us then to use our technology to determine if there's a serious issue. If there's a uh, serious issue, they can prioritize them in their, their, their pathway of, of treatment. Um, so we're excited about you know where this is going to lead us with the clinics opening back up now that we've had this opportunity to have more mind time with the physician and understand exactly where it fits into the practice so that the second half of the year should be extremely good for us. All right. Well, we uh, are up to what we refer to as our signature question where we ask you to look over the span of your career and share with us just one finance strategic moment. You've had many of these along the way, Dennis. Um, and this is really a storytelling exercise more than anything, I suppose. Uh, is there a, a time where your lines of sight into the organization allowed you to see something that you acted upon 
uh, as a finance executive and whether it was avoiding a risk or pursuing an opportunity, anything come to mind when we ask for a finance strategic moment? That always draws me back to uh, the, the uh, point in time that I've already shared with you. When I had taken over that struggling medical device company as the CEO, and after getting it profitability, the ability to recognize that our marketing platform needed an enhancement, there was a company out there that could provide that to me, and having the background, financial background, to structure a transaction, to take advantage of that, um, that opportunity, um, I was recognized as uh, CEO of the year for that particular event. So I what was that platform? I'm curious about when you say a marketing platform, maybe it's obvious. I'm just not, it's not clicking with me. What did he do? I'm curious. Calling on physicians and providing a therapy for physicians. And uh, the platform of the company that I wanted to merge with, it already developed a, a, a marketing platform where they were spending dollars advertising, getting a direct response on a dermatological at-home use product. And they were getting a multiple for every dollar they spent. They were getting $4 in sales. And I wanted to use that market intelligence and advertising platform and put it into our physician-based business. And we put the companies together. We translated that uh, marketing platform to the physician-based business, and it took off and was growing by double digits uh, each year. Was this staring you in the face? I mean, did you see this as obvious and other people looked at it were like, I don't think so. I mean, yeah, was it this, this transaction was one that was presented to the company multiple times and uh, was rejected by the board. And then when I took over and my colleague on the other side uh, had gotten together, he wanted my technology because it diversified his business. I wanted his marketing because it can enhance my penetration in my target market. And it worked extremely well once we put it together. You're on the same page when you found your... your so even though I about 80% of the business, our, our shareholders got a 20 times return. So it worked out extremely well. When we come back, CFO Dennis McGrath enters the mentoring round. The business landscape is changing quickly. As the pressure to manage expenses efficiently and strategically increases, you need solutions that not only help drive down costs and improve efficiencies, but meet the changing needs of your business. At U.S. Bank, we can help. We'll work with you to uncover your specific payment challenges and bring you proactive and innovative solutions and strategies that help you meet the financial goals of your organization. Our commitment to doing the right thing for our customers has earned us the designation of one of the world's most ethical companies from the Ethisphere Institute for six years in a row. To learn more, visit us at usbpayment.com. Hello, we're back with CFO Dennis McGrath of PathMed. Dennis, uh, we begin with this question, and it was the first time you stepped into a CFO role, the first time you had all of the leadership responsibilities, the first time the, the board turned and looked at you and <laughs> wanted answers, perhaps. What... Um, what would you tell us? What piece of advice, if you could go back in time and tell yourself something about this role, this CFO role, what would you have told yourself that first week, that first quarter when you took on the role? 
I think the, the biggest lesson to learn as a CFO, we spend so much time looking in the rearview mirror for compliance reporting, whether it's last month, last quarter, last year, that you can't lose sight of the road in front of you. You know, what does the business need tomorrow, the year after? What's the longer horizon? And to really get there, you need to understand what your colleagues in the other departments are facing and obstacles and how you can help them solve those issues, whether it's providing information, it's providing resources, it's providing intelligence or experience. The more you can understand how all of the business business cycles, whether it's the supply chain side or the commercial sales side, fits in uniquely, I think enhances your career. Now, for me, having run my own business before I went to that CFO role, I had to figure that out. And I did not have the mentors that uh, I now treasure to be. Um, and you know, once you figure out that you're a piece of that endless circle um, and understanding you know, others' needs and trying to make them successful, it will make you successful. Now, we, uh, we, our next question is to ask you something more of a personal uh, habit that you might have if there's part of your daily routine. Is there part of something that Dennis has always done that's allowed him to perform on the professional side well? So anything come to mind when we ask for a personal habit or part of your routine that you think might be your secret sauce? <laughs> well, that's changed over time. Uh, early in my career, when I was able to do so, I was more of a... a uh, uh, a runner. Uh, I love the exercise and uh, I use that to enhance my basketball skills. And uh, until I was age 42, I used to play basketball inside the prisons uh, against inmates. So as a CFO, it's always humorous to start an investment banking discussion by saying I've been in most prisons on the East Coast and let them try and figure out what that means. How exactly did you do that? So I joined a group called the South Jersey Saints here in, 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 uh, in, in South Jersey. And the organizer of this uh, picked a whole bunch of athletes that we would compete against intramurally and decided he wanted to do a community service and entered basketball teams, softball teams, soccer teams up and down the East Coast in prisons. And the, the, um, the chaplains and the wardens welcomed it because it was probably the most compliant the uh, the, the inmates were uh, during any time. Uh, highly attended, uh, listened to us when we talked about to them at halftime. And until I was 42, when they were making fun of the few hairs on the top of my head and my uniform being a little tighter than it should, and no longer would the knees allow me to jump high, uh, had, had a, some great thrills. And some of the cleanest games you'd ever play. Uh, much cleaner than you'd pick up on a on a schoolyard. Wow. Okay. Uh, very interesting. I haven't heard about uh, that type of program before, which sounds it, like it must pay large dividends. I would imagine to uh, to the uh, inmates as well, just to have that change of venue. I want to uh, ask you about a book. If there's something that interests you lately, it doesn't have to be a business book. Again, kind of we get in your head a little bit when we hear what you suggest or don't suggest. <laughs> 
you know, with all the reading that I do just to stay current in my profession and our industry, for uh, reading casual, I read a lot of fiction and usually legal type thrillers. Uh, Grisham is always coming to mind. I probably have a dozen of them. I try and get every one I can. I put them on my Kindle. Um, I've spent a lot of time on airplanes and trains. And uh, when you're not filling in some of the day-to-day work, it fills in the gaps. And you know, I've enjoyed that uh, quite a lot. Okay. Well, you're not alone. There are some uh, legal uh, thriller readers among our listeners, for sure. We've had a few uh, recommendations over time. So thank you for that. And we will jump to our final question, which is where we ask you to look ahead once again, and you're going to share with us your priorities as a finance leader over the next 12 months. What are those priorities? Yeah, staffing, financing, and technology probably fit that bill. Um, having the right staffing to satisfy and meet the demand that our uh, sales force is going to push the whole organization towards having the financing to make sure it's executed timely and uh, financed well and support the activities that, uh, that are needed and technology to allow us to be more effective and efficient in creating that feedback loop for our teams to make you know smarter decisions. Dennis McGrath, thank you for joining us on CFO Thought Leader. Jack, thank you. thanks for having me. Hello, listeners. Do us a favor. Be certain to subscribe to CFO Thought Leader on Apple Podcasts. Or if you're an Android user, check us out on Spotify or Google Play. If you like the show, please recommend it to a friend. Oh, and by the way, the CFO Yearbook 2021 Print Edition debuts on Amazon this quarter featuring 100 profiles of finance leaders from our 2020 season. Would you like to learn more about our CFO guests? Order the CFO Yearbook 2021. Thank you for supporting our efforts to bring you career journeys of CFOs driving change. We'll be back with another episode very soon. Thank you for listening.